Well, morning, everybody. This week reminded us that we still live in the north. We are still in the north, and this is why many of your friends go south this time of year. You pulled out all your winter gear, and it is upon us. Hey, just want to give us kind of a little family business before we jump into the message. As a congregation, we're committed to be transparent on financial matters all through the year, try to keep you as up-to-date as possible, quarter to quarter. This time of the year, just want to give you uh, another update on where we stand. So between now and the end of the year, here's how many dollars need to come in for us to meet budget. $439,703 between now and December 31 to meet budget. So those of you who like a little history, typically between Thanksgiving and Christmas, we're a congregation that gives around $300,000 history for the year-end run. That's kind of a general window. It fluctuates, obviously, year to year. But uh, 439000 would be, in the words of our elders meeting this past uh, Thursday evening, it would be a world-class finish to the year. Um, and we're trusting we serve a world-class God. Uh, I, I believe you're a world-class body. God is with us in this. And a couple dynamics going on here. Um, we have, this past year, had some core family units who have been longtime Eagle contributors, faithful financial supporters, job transitions and such, have moved on. And those things impact um, our regular budget cycle. Interesting, our attendance is up about 50 or so folks. So attendance is up and giving is down. So I think the combination of this is when you lose some core giving units and you have some newer families coming and participating in the body, there's a little bit of a gap before financial investment occurs. Are you tracking with me? And I think we're kind of experiencing and living in that gap. So straightforward to those of you who are newer and wondering where you can jump in and help around here. I have 439,000 reasons um, for you to jump in and help right now. But this, just to be honest with you, that's, this would be a really helpful thing if God has called you to say, hey, Eagles are home now. And um, you could jump in and help us make up the gap. And those of you who are core givers, who are faithful tithers, thank you for everything that you have been giving. And then a final challenge to those of you who are core families here, but have never really stepped into the tithe threshold. That's kind of the biblical standard. First fruits giving is the way it goes. You've heard me teach on this. I'm going to be talking about it more in 2017. But basically, God says, whatever you're entrusted with, as an act of worship, you give first fruits back to him. And you start with 10%. So if you've never done this before, let me just issue kind of a front-end challenge as you think about uh, this time of year and then turning the clock into a new year. Why not give that a try? It's actually one of the commands the Lord says, test him in. I love to test him in that because he's faithful and he always comes through in ways that would surprise you. And uh, So maybe some of you are... Uh, looking at maybe your small business owners, and you could just say, you know what, there's something you could structure your business in such a way that says, you know what, the first 10% of everything that I've been given as profit, I'm gonna give back to the Lord as first fruits, and let's see what God does with that. Wouldn't that be something? And see what God would do with that. Uh, or maybe you're just in a regular paycheck cycle and you've never taken that step, but I just wanna encourage you. I will say this, I have, I have no idea what everyone's income level is, but just doing a general math based upon this area of the country and our current attendance, if we were a tithing community or even close to it, this wouldn't even be a, there would be no concept of deficit here. Are you with me? There, I mean, we, I think the Lord has abundantly entrusted us with plenty of resources to get done what he wants to get done. I think it's our role to release and steward them. Uh, me along with you, 
This is what Kendra and I, as we pray about as a household, when we first got married, that was one of the things we did early on in our marriage, just say, you know what? The first 10% is a starting point of whatever God gives us, the first 10% is given back to him. And then just through the years, you try to grow it a little bit, and that's the statement of generosity. So I just wanna encourage you, all right? Three different categories. If you're new, this is how you can help. If you're a regular around here and you're already tithing, thank you for all that you're doing. And then if you're a regular around here and you haven't been tithing, pray. Ask the Lord for what he'd ask, have you to do and let's help us close up this gap and have a world-class finish to the year. Can we do that together? Because we do serve a world-class God. And John 14, one is how I'm living with all this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in the Lord. You say, well, Eric, how are you handling all this? I'm trying to have a posture of just trust in the Lord, like all of you when you have stuff in your life where you just go, hey, Lord, this is out of our hands. This is Jesus' church. He's gonna provide to get done what he wants to get done. And for 24 years around here, he has faithfully provided. And you say, well, wait about, I thought you guys sold like 10 acres out there and got like 1.3 some million dollars. What in the world's all that about? Well, do you remember? We sold 10 acres and we put how much of the 1.33 million towards debt reduction? How much? 100%. We thought that was really, really important, right? That actually cut our debt load in half. So if you're newer, we were running around 2.8 million or so on the debt load at that point. We cut it to around 1.4 million. And we think long-term, that's really what God asked us to do. We were doing what we really believed he asked us to do. But you guys who know budgeting cycles well, this is your general operating budget. This is like how you keep the lights on and the heat and the staff and all the ministries flowing. That's what this number is. So you see it? Yes, we, were, we had a great year from a selling of land and God's blessing of debt reduction, and we think long-term that's gonna pay great dividends. But for 2016, here's where we are, and God's with us. Let's pray together. Jesus, we trust you. Uh, thank you for everything you've entrusted to us as a church. 24 years you have faithfully come through for us. I remember in the early days of Eagle, when we had a little shoebox in the back, and Carrie and I'd get together and say, Lord, uh, could you provide enough monies there to pay for this banquet room? I think it was a couple hundred bucks. And Sunday night after Sunday night, there was at least a couple hundred dollars in that shoebox. And 24 years later, here we are. You have been faithful. This is your ministry. And you've given us a lot, each of us as families. You've entrusted us with so much. And uh, we know that giving and stewardship is really important to you. And we want to be that kind of body that stewards what you've entrusted to us well. So speak to us, grow us in our stewardship. Help us be faithful with everything you entrust us with. And uh, Lord, at the end of the day, we'll give you all the glory. Uh, Psalm 115, not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory. And that's what we want to advance with all these dollars, your name and your mission in this world. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Open up your Bibles, Luke chapter 18. We're wrapping up our series on the parables this morning. If you haven't fired up your app or if you haven't downloaded the Eagle Church app, download that. You can pull up the uh, bulletin note section there if you'd prefer to do something digital on note-taking. It's kind of your note sheet or the note page you were handed on the way in. We're gonna have a little exercise at the end of the message which the app will kind of further explain as well. Well, it was last month, if you recall, uh, Kendra and I took the girls uh, to Thailand for fall break. One of the things on the scheduling side about three or four months before that that I was trying to work through was uh, John Turhorse and Danny Brewer. John and Danny, are you here today? John and Danny, they're newlyweds, so they're not here today. All right, newly, they're the newest of newlyweds in the congregation, John and Danny Turhorse. They scheduled their wedding 
on the same time when we were scheduled to return from Thailand. And I was really praying about this. I'm like, Lord, I'd really like to be able to help them. And then when all the flights got booked, I said to John and Danny, I said, look, here's how it's looking right now. It looks like we're gonna land in Indianapolis at two o'clock. And they scheduled their wedding for four o'clock here at Eagle. I said to them, wisdom doesn't seem like you'd want me to do your wedding at that point, just because I know how I would smell and how I would look and how I'd be thinking, all those things. And they're like, no, 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 we really, if, if you could physically do it, you know, uh, just if you could be there at all, we'd love for you to do it. And I said, okay, okay, here's how we'll work it. I got Pastor Brad on speed dial. Pastor Brad led through the rehearsal. And I'll touch base with Pastor Brad on the, on the journey home and say, hey, who, who's up to bat? to officiate the wedding. So all the connecting flights were lining up so well and we landed at Indianapolis at 2.15 p.m. That was at the end of 49 hours. None of our bags made it. O for four on the luggage. They said they were somewhere between Thailand and Indianapolis, very helpful on their scanning system. So you fill out the paperwork, 15 minutes or so, you're, right, you stand there and you look at the carousel and you lose none of your bags and you go over to the worker and you fill out the paperwork, blah, blah, blah. By the time we get to the van to get back to the house, it's 2.45. So we pull up to the house at 3.15. I text Brad. I said, Brad, I think I'm going to be okay. I'll be there. Hit the shower, put on the suit, walked in the doors at 3.54. There was a couple hundred guests here, bridal party and all that out in the atrium. Pastor Brad was at the soundboard. Got the microphone on, went back to where the groomsmen had gathered. We're standing right here at the bottom of this stairwell. And the music is playing and the bride is entering. You know the moment. It's a, it's a great moment. And the entire room begins to just kind of move and levitate on me. It was like I was on the 747. I mean... Just one of those moments. And by God's grace, we got through that ceremony. And while I was standing there with John and Danny, I felt like the Lord said a wedding charge to them is, you know, marriage is a lot like a 49-hour trip to the other side of the world. Life is a lot like that, is it not? Life is a lot like a 49-hour trip to the other side of the planet. There are some stretches of that where you wonder, how, how am I going to get through what I'm going through? How did I get into this, and are we ever going to get there? You ever been on one of those trips? How did I get on this flight, and is this flight ever going to end? And then there are other stretches of life or of marriage where you just go, you know what? It's kind of cruising at 30,000 feet. You're just kind of ticking off the weeks, smooth sailing. And then you hit some unbelievable turbulence. Right, Life is a lot like that. The plane bottoms out and your stomach drops and they tell you to fasten the seatbelt sign and that's a lot like life. But if you can kind of weather through the storms of all that, the destination is unbelievably worth it. So today's parable, I'd like to subtitle Jesus' parable of praying and persevering. Praying and persevering like you're on a 49-hour trip to the other side of the planet. Luke chapter 18, here's how he said it. He's telling a story, and not all of his parables does he do this, but look what he says in verse one. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable 
to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So that's what the story is about. Should always pray and not give up. Verse 2, he said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Verse 7, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So here's a story about a widow who goes to the person who's placed in that kind of cultural setup who's in position to help her, a judge. And the widow is going to a judge who's in a position to help, but this judge, the character of the judge in the story, he's kind of callous, he's indifferent, he's kind of distant. He's not really interested in being helpful to this widow, though the widow is going to the one who's supposed to be in a position to help. Now, I want to clarify in Jesus' stories like this, Jesus is not comparing the father that we pray to to the, do the unjust judge. That's why the story says this unjust judge who doesn't care about God or, fear, or care about people or fear God. He's not drawing that analogy. Instead, follow me here, what he's saying is he's contrasting the character of the unjust judge with the character of the father that Jesus reveals. So it goes like this. There's this unjust judge who is callous and indifferent and kind of distant to the particular needs of this widow. And then there's the character of the Father that Jesus reveals to us. In all of his teachings, Jesus reveals that God is what? He's a good God. Just like we were singing about, a good, good Father who's always got our best in mind. He's generous. He's not lacking for resources to be able to provide for his people. And he's supremely wise. Do you know how competent our God is? more competent than anyone than we could ever meet. He is supremely wise. So he's a good God, a generous God, a wise God. That's the character of the Father that Jesus reveals. So the parable goes like this. If this unjust judge who is callous and distant and kind of just hands off with the widow, if this unjust judge finally caves after the widow bothers her enough, if he finally gives her what she's really looking for, how much more, that's the key phrase, how much more will the father that Jesus reveals hear the cries of his children when they come to him and cry out? Do you see that? It's the how much more principle. So it's not that the father's like the unjust judge. It's like, hey, if the unjust judge actually finally came through for the widow, how much more will the father whom Jesus reveals come through for his children when they cry out in a time of need? So then he says, I'm telling you a story that you should always pray and not give up. Anyone else found they're really good at giving up in their praying? I, I am. 
It must mean when Jesus says they should always pray and not give up, it must mean a common temptation is to give up and not persevere in our praying. And I looked in the scriptures on this. You know, that is true. The best prayer manual we have in our Bible is the whole book of Psalms, 150 of them. If you need some training in praying, I commend to you the Psalms. Just start praying the Psalms. How do you pray the Psalms? Start in Psalm 1, read them out loud. We're gonna do an exercise at the end here to kind of give you a jump start to that this week. But you start praying the Psalms. Well, here's a little kind of overview of some of the psalmists praying a temptation to give up. Psalm 5, verse 1, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. Anybody been sighing in their praying lately? You hit those places where you're praying through something or praying for something and all you can do, you can't even craft the words, all you can do is That's the psalmist, is sighing. You know, the Lord hears our sighing. Verse, Psalm 10, verse one, why, O Lord? Why do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 13, one and two, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Psalm 22, this is the psalm that Jesus quoted when he was hanging on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and am not silent. Psalm 90, verse 13, oh Lord, how long will it be? Anybody prayed that? Oh Lord, how long will it be? It seems to me, just from a kind of a quick overview of just the psalms, that to become a people of prayer is to become fluent in the language of why and how long. Why me? Why this? Why now? Why haven't you been more responsive? Why has this gone on so long? The whys and then the hows. How long, O Lord? How long do you want me to wait in silence? How long are you gonna drag out the answer? How long, oh Lord, how long? It's the tension of the whys and the how long. So Jesus tells a story that we should always pray and not give up because the pull in our praying is we're gonna hit stretches in our praying where it's gonna be a crying out why, oh Lord, and a how long, oh Lord, and there's gonna be sighing in our praying, and the temptation's gonna be to give up. And Jesus says, no, let me tell you a story. There was a widow who came, and he, she kept coming, even though the judge didn't care about people and had no reverence for God. And that judge finally gave that widow what she needed. How much more will the Father that I'm revealing to you, if you will persevere in your praying, he'll hear your cries. He'll come through for you in ways you wouldn't have imagined. How much more will this good and generous and wise God do that? So don't give up. Keep praying. Pray through the whys. Pray through the how longs. Keep at it. Which raises the question, what's with this gap between when we pray, you go to the Father who you know has all the capabilities to come through and answer that request, prayers prayed, and then why and how long seems to get longer before prayers answered? 
what's with this, I've termed wide gap praying? We love narrow gap praying. Or I'll just say, I love narrow gap praying. When I'm praying about something, and boom, right there, suddenly, same day, same hour, even the same week, stuff changes. Things happen. It's all in step with what I was praying about. That's wonderful. That's when we're giving testimony in our life groups about how great God is and how powerful prayer is. And, and then there's other times when you're praying and seemingly nothing is happening. Like your words are just kind of bouncing off the ceiling. God, do you even hear me? Have you turned your ears from me? Do you hear my cries? How long do you want me to make? Why this? Why, why haven't you come through wide gap praying? So two things I think are in this wide gap praying for us to think about this morning. The first thing God's up to in the widening of the gap is I think he wants us to see his wisdom the wisdom he displays in the prayers he doesn't answer. You know, there's a lot of wisdom in that. Can you think about times in your life when you're praying about something, you're absolutely convinced that that business transaction needed to go this way, and you were praying, fasting your guts out on that? Or maybe a relationship you were convinced needed to go somewhere? Or maybe a ministry dream you were convinced needed to be birthed and launched. And as you're praying through all those things and you're frustrated about what's not happening and then time goes by and you look back and you go, Lord, I'm so grateful that you didn't give me what I was crying out for. This is what you feel at your 25-year class reunion. <laughs> Come on now. You show up at your 25-year class reunion, and if you were a follower of Jesus in high school, and you were convinced he was the one, or she was the one, and you remember praying, and you remember getting some people together to pray, you might even talk to your youth pastor about it, say, he's the one, she's the one, and it never turned out to be the one. And then you show up at your 25-year reunion, you go, Jesus, thank you so much. You are such a wise and supremely competent God. Come on now. We've all been there. God knows what he's doing. And sometimes the stuff we're crying out for, we're so convinced is what needs to happen. In the wisdom of God, sometimes he says, hey, it's not that he doesn't hear. It's not that he isn't responding. His response is, Sometimes wait, you need to wait longer. Other times, no. That's, that's no. The second part in the wide gap, so what else is going on in the gap? I want you to think about um, there's more to prayer than just answering requests. Now think with me about this. I want you to imagine, just kind of imagine, because I know none of you struggle with this, but just kind of imagine that you've got a friend or a family member in your life that's just really needy. Just imagine that when you get together at Thanksgiving, there might be someone who every time you see them, they just drain the life out of you. 
They're the ones that always want something from you. That you can't ever really just be with them because to be with them is like super complicated and they're just, they're not the kind of people you would ever call if you had a couple hours and you just wanted to hang with somebody. Just imagine you've got someone in your life like this, okay? That's the needy friend relationship. I want you to contrast that with the kind of person you have in your life that when you do have a couple hours free on your schedule, you look forward to simply being with that person. Because when you're with them, there's generally not much of an agenda. You just enjoy unhurried time together. You're kind of refreshed from that time together. You encourage one another. You just, it's the be with relationship. You got the needy friend relationship. You got the be with relationship. Are you tracking with me? If we approach prayer just as going to God to get all of the requests that we want to see him do, if that's the only way we really approach prayer, I think it's a lot like the needy friend relationship. All we're doing, we're just showing up for conversations with God, dumping out our laundry list of all the things we want him to do. Now, he wants to hear the, what's on our heart, but put it in a relational context. When you have good friends, certainly you have times where you're listening to a good friend, they're going through a tough stretch, they kind of dump everything out and you encourage them and you pray for them. But if that's every time you get together, pretty soon that's not gonna be a super close friend. And so what God's, I think part of when he widens the gap between prayers prayed and prayers answered, I think he's trying to surface the be with factor in prayer. That prayer is a lot more than just getting our requests answered, though it is that. That prayer also involves just being with him. And I put in your notes Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. So here's the deal. You are who you run with. That's, the, that's my summary of that verse. Who you run with affects who you become. As parents, we're always talking to the kids about this, right? Who you surround yourself with is gonna affect a lot of who you become as a young person as well as an older person. So if you find yourself spending a boatload of time with people who are living foolishly, don't be surprised down the road if you look in the mirror and you find yourself maybe a little more foolish in choices and lifestyle. How did that happen? If you surround yourself with that and you keep in that environment, eventually it just kind of seeps into your own character and you become like who you run with. Well, I want you to think about this with prayer and this is why God's always talking to us in the scriptures about his concern for the kind of people we're becoming. Have you noticed how the Lord is so attentive on this issue that he cares more about who you and I are becoming than just getting the request answered? He cares about the kind of man or the kind of woman we're becoming on the journey. And so what he does is he invites us into this be with relationship. He wants us to spend time with him. And do you know what happens when he widens the gap between you're crying out for him to come through on something? Do you know how much God loves all those hours that we spend? Up early, up late, restless through, we're praying, we're crying out, we're up in the prayer room, we're getting together with us. God loves all that time together. That, if I were honest, if he would have just answered on the front end very quickly to that request, I'm not sure all those hours would have been spent with him, just being honest. 
But because he widens the gap, what does he find? He's finding time, time together, time to listen, time to sigh, time to wrestle, time to be still in the gap. Are you tracking with me? It's the transition from the needy friend type of prayer relationship to the be with. Simpson, I've just invited you into this with God life. That's what Jesus offers. You get to live everyday life with Jesus, the with God life. That's the best possible life you could ever live. If someone asked me why I'm a Christian, I said, because Jesus is right about everything. He's not just right about the big things. Heaven, hell, sin, salvation, all those big things. I want to be on his side when this whole thing wraps up. And he's right about all that, but he's right about everything. He's right about how to raise kids and how to love your spouse. He's right about how to handle finances. He's right about how to handle priority. He's just right about everything. I follow Jesus because he's right about everything. He's supremely wise about everything. So I give my whole life to him. And the amazing thing is, prayer is an invitation to be with him. How would I answer the question of what would be more important than time with him? Man, I can think in my own life about how I can just spend so much time doing so many other things. And yet there's this unbelievable God who is good and generous and kind and wise. And he says, you could just be with me. It's called prayer. And prayer doesn't just change things. Prayer changes us. Do you see that? Do you know how prayer changes us? He stretches out the time between prayers prayed and prayers answered. I don't think prayer would change us as much if it was narrow gap praying all the time. We'd probably become increasingly impatient, which we need no help with that. If we were just right praying like that, if we were just like the instant cell phone, right, everything at the click of a finger, Google generation, you just want it right now in response. If God's are operating, that's not going to help the character of perseverance and patience get developed in any of us. So you know what God says he's gonna do? He says, I, I, I love you enough not to let you go down that road, so I hear your cries for help, I hear your sighing, I hear your whys and how longs, and must stretch it out. And in that stretch it out, I'm gonna invite you to be with me. And as you come to be with me, you will be transformed to become more like me because who you surround yourself with affects who you become. So the more time you spend with this good and kind and wise and generous father, guess what happens to you and to me? We become like him, which is a really big deal on his agenda. Way more important than answering the specific requests. Listen to how Eugene Peterson put, I put this quote in your notes, and then we've got a few questions and an exercise to wrap up with. Prayer Peterson says, prayer is not begging God to do something for us that he doesn't know about, or begging God to do something for us that he is reluctant to do, or begging God to do something that he hasn't time for. In prayer, we persistently, faithfully, trustingly come before God, submitting ourselves to his sovereignty. His sovereignty means he's in control of everything. Confident that he is acting right now on our behalf, working his will in our life and circumstances. So keep praying, don't quit. You see, the posture of a man or a woman who is depending on God is the posture of prayer. 
I happen to believe that what we're praying about is a, is a great window into what we're trusting God for. Which means the flip side of that is also true, at least I found in my own life. The stuff I'm not praying about, prayerlessness, is an indicator of self-reliance. The stuff I'm fairly confident I've kind of got, I got this, Lord, I got this under control, I'm good with this, don't really need your help or input on this one, I got this, guess what, that, that's prayerless. I'm not praying about that stuff. Self-reliance. But a window into really what we're trusting God for is let's listen to ourselves pray for a few weeks and, and what's coming, what are the topics that are coming up? Probably why Apostle Paul says we ought to be praying about everything because we're dependent upon Lord for everything. But being humans that we are, we drift to places of self-reliance and a little dashboard indicator on my spiritual dashboard is prayerlessness is a flasher towards self-reliance. Versus prayerfulness is an indicator of dependence on God. So a few questions I wrote for myself and I offer them to you as well. How would you rate your perseverance in praying these days? If you just had to give your scale a scale of one to 10, one being, yeah, I'm praying about something and if by the end of the day it's not happening, I give up and move on. 10 being your Luke 18 Jesus level of persevering praying. Question number two, what's God harvesting out of the why and the how long seasons in your life these days? Everybody's got them. Every single person you lock eyes with is going through some great battle. Every single one of us, everybody's going through something. What's God doing with the whys? What's he doing with the how longs? Recently for me, it's when our accountant, Ruth Batson, said $439,703. That's what needs to come in to make budget. That was, that was a why and how long things, Lord. That was a, it's time to persevere in prayer on some things, Lord. When was the last time you took some unhurried, focused time to simply be with God and give him your full attention? How long has it been? Unhurried, focused, be with time. Just be with him because that's the invitation to the life that Jesus offers. So here's what I'd like us to give a try this week, all right? Kind of a church-wide assignment together. And I put a summary of the assignment in your notes and the details are on the app. And if you click the more button there, there's a guided prayer tab in the app and it unpacks it even more. Let me just walk through it briefly. I'd like each of us in the next seven days to find, I think this will take you about 15 minutes, stretch it out longer if you want, but about 15 minutes. Can each of us commit to finding 15 minutes in the next 168 hours to do this? That's what I'm asking. I want you to begin the exercise by kneeling if you're able to kneel. Kneel in silence for two minutes. What do you do with that kneeling? I just want you to take some deep breaths. I want you to settle into the silence. It's gonna seem a lot longer than two minutes, especially if your life has been unbelievably noisy like so many of ours are. So kneel in silence for two minutes and then I want you to read portions of Psalm 27 out loud, slowly. I want you to pause in the section breaks and just kind of listen to the words. You need to read it out loud because off, that's not something we normally do. 
So you're hearing the word kind of spoken as you're reading it. So you're saying, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I want you to pause there. I just want you to let those words sink in a little bit. And then I want you to go to verse four. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek. How about that when the psalmist says, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek. I wonder if we all wrote our own Psalm 27. What would that say? One thing I ask, this is what I seek, colon, and then you're gonna get this is what he was asking. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And just let those words sink in. And then verse five, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle. Set me high upon a rock. And you pause there again. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. So I want you to go through that. Slow pacing, out loud, kneeling. And then I want you to go through it a second time. And the second time, you go back up to verse one. And at the end of each of the sections, I just want you to pause. And I want you to see if God just brings up some things in your heart to pray and to talk to him about based upon the words that you were just reading and kind of trying to settle into. Just see what the Lord brings up. Could be a person, could be a situation, could be something directly with you. Just see what he brings up. Just talk to him about it, however long that goes. And if your mind starts wandering over, just come right back to the verse, kind of read it over again, and just work your way through the psalm. You with me? This kind of guided prayer through the psalm. This is letting the psalm kind of train us. This is training in praying. And then after you're done with that, wrap up with this prayer here. Lord Jesus, thank you for your great love. Thank you for giving up your life that I might find life in you. Thank you for your patience, how you never give up on me. Teach me how to be a person of prayer. Open my eyes to see all the ways you are at work around me today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Can we do that together? Because Jesus told us a story that we should be a people who were always praying and not giving up. Why? Because there was this unjust judge who didn't care about people and had no reverence for God. And this widow came and she eventually got what she wanted. How much more will our great and glorious and good and generous and wise God, how much more will he hear the cries of his children and respond in ways that will take our breath away? So don't give up. And you're gonna get fluent in the whys and you're gonna get fluent in the how longs. And remember that as he stretches out the time from the prayers prayed and the prayers answered, what's he doing in there? He's inviting us into this be with aspect. And also, let's not forget, there's a lot of wisdom in some slash many of the requests we pray that he doesn't answer. Because real life is a lot like a 49-hour trip to the other side of the globe. 
Some of you, you're cruising along at 30,000 feet. You couldn't be more. You're, you're on cruise control. You're fired up about Thanksgiving and Christmas and this time of year. You're just sailing. That's great. Others of you, you're just longing for the day when you can unfasten the seatbelt. You feel like you've got the fasten seatbelt sign on for literally the last year, two, three of your life. It's just been one bout of turbulence over another. And you wonder, when is this thing going to stabilize? And still others of you go, I'm not sure how I got into all this, and I'm not sure I see a way out. But if we will be the kind of people who always pray and don't give up, Jesus guarantees us the destination is going to be worth it. So don't quit. Let's pray. Lord, we confess our own fickleness in our praying. I confess, Lord, how quickly I bounce around and I don't persevere and how impatient I get. Thank you for your unbelievable patience with us. Thank you that you just invite us wherever we are. Maybe we've never prayed like this before. You just say, come on, let's go. Or maybe we've been and we've fallen off the wagon and it's time to come back. I just pray this week, would you just resurrect would you resurrect the kind of persevering prayer that you long for your children to have? Teach us your ways, oh God. Teach us how to be a praying people. God, would you give grace to those who find themselves in the why me, why this, why now? How long, oh Lord, how long shall I wait? Would you give grace? Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And would you harvest out of the gap between the stuff we're praying and longing to see you come through on? And when you do, would you harvest out of that gap stuff that's more glorious than we could ever imagine? So lift up our eyes this morning. Give us your perspective on all that we're facing. Thank you for being a good and generous and wise Father. We love you in Jesus' name.